welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the podcast that features conversations with writers of all types. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by The Craft Studio, craftstudionyc.com, let loose and craft. With locations on the Upper East Side in Tribeca, The Craft Studio is the perfect place to bring your kids, paint pottery, and kill a bunch of time. It's amazing. I am super excited to be interviewing KJ Del Antonio today. Uh, KJ is the former editor of and a writer for the New York Times Motherload blog. She was also a contributing editor to the Well Family section. Prior to that, she was a blogger and contributor to Slate. She currently lives in Lyme, New Hampshire with her husband, four children, and many farm animals. Hi, how are you? Great, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. I also want to thank you so, so much for writing your book. Um, as, as a mom of four, also, I am, like, beyond grateful to have now a manual, like, sorted by topic so I can, I can like, refer back to it as a Bible. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope, I hope it's helpful. It actually, doing it helped me, so. Oh, no, it's absolutely helpful. I feel like you normalized so many of the things that I felt, and, uh, oh, my gosh, there was just, anyway, thank you. It was amazing. Um, in your introduction, which I want to laminate basically called this could be fun. Uh, you open up your book with the following. You said I'd been a parent for close to 12 years by the time it occurred to me to ask myself if the whole thing had to suck quite as much as it seemed to most days. And you then point out that raising your kids will take about 20 years and that will be a significant chunk of your overall lifespan. So you say, I don't want to spend that time in a haze of resigned exhaustion, longing to be or do something else. I am lucky to have all this. I want to like it. So I felt like that encapsulated pretty much the whole tone of the book. And I wanted to just hear more about how you shift, shifted mindsets and how this book came to be. I think that um, there, there's so much in the book that is practical and like things you can actually do to make um, immediate things better. But that mindset shift, the decision that you want this to be good, that you, you know, that it's worth your time to figure out ways to, to make, um, you know, what's, what seems like sort of mundane tasks that are always going to be kind of vaguely sucky, that it's worth your while to both make them better and also to help yourself to feel better about it. I mean, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm never going to be a morning person. It's never going to happen. But the decision to wake up and try, which really, honestly, I, I, <laughs> I spent 40 years not trying, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little less, no, probably maybe a little more. Um, it, it's, it's huge. Just that sort of moment when you, I mean, you know that that moment when like the kid needs the seventeenth drink of water and the other kid is on the floor because their math homework is too hard, and like it's just everybody needs you and you're getting to, and you're exhausted for whatever reason for work and and just to sort of reach like deep down in yourself and be like, okay, I'm gonna help the kid with you know <laughs> the math and I'm gonna get the kid the drink like I'm gonna do these things, so it's really up to me how I feel about it. Yep. I love that. It's like taking all the control back in a way. Yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah, you, you know, you're, you know, you're going to, I mean, you, you, you just are. And it's just, and also it, honestly, it's faster and easier and more pleasant to get the drink of water without like the whole argument about how you just had a drink of water. Possibly <laughs> thirsty. Uh, you know, you, you're going to do it. You might as well just, just, 
you know, find 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 a little last scraping of, of adulthood and do it. It's so funny because when I read this passage, I just had this moment with my husband and he was like, so like, what do you think we're going to do once all the kids are out of the house? Like, what, what do you think life's going to look like for us? And I was like, I mean, I hope I'm going to be around. That's so far away, you know, like, like this is it. And all of a sudden it was sort of occurring to me, like, this is like the bulk of it, you know? And so then I opened your book and you basically said the same thing to me. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the good, really, this is the good stuff. Yes. Like this is the, the, the meat. This is, you know, this is the middle of the sandwich. This is, um, and we want to like, like, you know, let's, you know, I have to savor every minute. This is not one of those, like, you know, old lady in the grocery store. Oh, your time goes up. It's just not that. Like, you don't, we don't have to feel like unicorns and rainbows constantly. But let's, to, to just make that decision to make it as good as, as you can, um, I think it's really important. Yeah. Just not to be unhappy. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> you, uh, you, wrote, <clears throat> you wrote that happier parents tend to do four things well. And so you said they shift from heavier involvement to fostering independence as their children become more capable. You say they don't put their children's everyday needs above their own. They look for the good in day-to-day experiences, and they know what's really important and what's just noise and fury. First, I wanted to know how you found these happy parents, and then <laughs> how, how did you come up with these four variables? Well, that is, that's a combination of research I did myself with a, a, a colleague, a professor at Fordham University, Matthew Winchaker, and um, we interviewed, we didn't, I don't know, we didn't, we did a sort of a peer-reviewed research study style survey of a, we, 1,050 parents uh, you know, that were sort of demographically correct across the, the United States. Um, not all 1,050 answered all the questions. So we sort of didn't end up with quite that many. But um, And those were the people that the ones who had younger children described more and who were also more satisfied with their lives or with their parenting, which is sort of how academics measure happiness, they described being more involved. The ones who had older children um, described encouraging their children towards independence. And by described, I mean they sort of, you know, answered multiple choice questions for the most part. We had a few open-ended questions. So that was something that we saw ourselves. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't some enormous and massive effect, but it was definitely observable, this sort of shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were not the same parents. Like, you know, it's not like we followed them for 10 <laughs> years, but that was just, um, that's the way that that worked. And then the rest of the other Oh, the putting, not putting their kids' everyday needs above their own. That's also from our research. We ask things like, um, you know, when you think about who's, what's for dinner, whose needs are you considering? Um, when you think about where you're going on vacation, whose needs are you considering? And people who were considering the needs of everybody in the family were typically also the people who were more satisfied, um, as opposed to just, you know, sort of focusing on the needs of the kids. Mm. Then the other things are more, those are, are mostly other people's research. There's been a ton of research on general happiness and some on specific parental happiness. So it's, um, there's a wonderful neuro, neuropsychologist called, um, named Rick, Rick um, Hansen, and he is the one who talks about letting the good soak in and the importance of not letting your brain dwell on the negative, which they do pretty reliably. And um, he and another expert that I spoke to and love, Ken Gensberg, are both very big on keeping that adult perspective, that the things that we think are threats to our kids 
um, the things that threaten our kids' happiness, those aren't real threats. You know, they're not, they're not tigers. Not making a sports team is not a tiger. Not getting, uh, you know, not getting in the same first grade class with your best friend is not a tiger. Even that horrible bullying incident, um, you know, even not getting into the college you want to, those are not real threats. And having an adult perspective on them helps us keep our happiness as, as parents. And it also really helps our kids because then they can see that, you know, that, that life's going to go on. Right. <laughs> and what, like, what's an example of how you took one of these things and implemented it into your life? Uh, well, just what we were talking about earlier about taking the time to soak in the good moments. Like really when, when I think we all have those sort of moments when you just feel like you're going to rip all your hair out because you're, you know, you're, you're packing for a business trip the next day and your teenagers, it's, it's already 11 and you have to be up at five and your teenagers, you know, just having hysterics over something and another kid has is upstairs playing Fortnite and you've got to, you're just, you're just like, I, I just, I just, I can't. Um, and to sort of be able to have that little thing in the back of your head going, yeah, I just can't. But, but you know, my, you know, my, this is a healthy teenager who wants to talk to me and the kid who's playing Fortnite will get off when I ask them. And, and I get to go on a business, you know, I got a job. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit gratitude, but it's more like, it's not some, I don't think of it as like some big woo woo gratitude practice. It's just more noticing mm-hmm. that we really have these lovely modern lives, um, that, that are worth like appreciating. Totally. I love that. <laughs> um, your book hinges on these 10 mantras that you've identified for happier parents. And as I was typing them out, I was like, this is how I felt in college. I was like typing it out. Like I was making one of my review sheets that I was going to have to go back <laughs> and like underline and memorize. And now I'm going to like, you know, blow it up and put it on my bulletin board. But anyway, here are the 10 that you outlined. Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, which one of these maybe you use the most. Um, so one, what you want now isn't always what you want later, which I think is my favorite. Uh, two, there is nothing wrong. Three, people, including children, especially children, change. Four, you don't have to go in there. Five, if you see something, don't always say something. Six, you do you. That's my other favorite. Seven, you can be happy when your children aren't. Uh, eight, decide what to do, then do it. Nine, you don't have to get it right every time. And ten, soak up the good. Um, I really probably think about every one of them, not, not necessarily in so many words, but, um, I think about those all the time. I'd say the one that, and which one is like biggest in my life sort of varies from day to day. The one that's really big right now is you don't have to go in there, mm-hmm. which is to me an emotional reference. Like when your kid is having, it, it's a literal reference in that one of my kids used to have her tantrums in a closet. Um, and sometimes we did have to go in there, but we didn't have to go like in there in the sense of joining in her mood and it is back to school time and transitions are hard for all kids and I have a couple that are really struggling with this well I, I was I would say three of my four are really um they don't want to go back to school for very and, and it's not just like I don't want to go back it's it's also that sort of shifting to a different routine and the whole um, you know, the sort of, it's going to be different and yet it's going to be, I know what it's going to be, but I don't know what it's going to be. Anyway, everybody is super emotional right now, like Mm -hmm. super emotional. And so 
to let them have their emotional moments without joining them and just to be like, okay, cause it's really like they want to suck you in. They're trying. They're, they're, they're like, you know, this is the worst, this is the worst day ever. I, you know, I, yeah, and you just, they, they want you in there and to just be just like, I, you know, I get that you feel that way. I'm sorry. That really, that must be hard to, to be feeling all the feels right now. Um, I think sometimes they want to slap me when I, <laughs> but, but not to just be like sort of throw myself all in or respond, especially if they're push, pushing your buttons for, you know, like making you mad. Right. To not respond with genuine anger. Like, sometimes you have to sort of get up, you know, get yourself up and be like, you know, either you stop whining about this or you go, or, you know, you, you'd have to, but you don't have to, like, go all the way to actually being mad. Hmm. So, I love, yeah, that, so that's the big one for me at the moment. Yeah, my, we have otherwise, a, I would probably be, like, on the floor in a puddle right now. No, that's super useful. My my son, literally, last night as he's going to bed, he's like, wait, it's almost school. He's like, but I love this summer. I don't I don't know that I want to go back to school. Like, this is a great summer. And I was like, yeah, I've been, like, mentally preparing for this transition for a while because, you know, I'm a grown-up, right? But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, kids, they're like, wait, this is, like, coming up around the corner. I, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah. One of mine said to someone you know, the other, yeah, just yesterday, he was like, well, it's a couple weeks, and the person was like, no, I really don't think it is. Yeah. I, was I like, think it's like two or three weeks. And they're like, I think it's next Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, it's a week from Tuesday. I also, don't you hate like grownups? And I mean, I know we are grownups and I try so hard not to make them a mistake. Why do they always look at your children and go, so are you looking forward to going back to school? Totally. No. And they don't want to talk about it at the grocery store. <laughs> Similarly, if you have a kid who's a junior in high school, which I do, they don't really want to tell you about their college search right now. Ugh. Like, you know, online at the checkout, they just don't. I get that that's your immediate go-to, but just don't. Be I like, know. hey, I noticed they have a new flavor of Hershey bar. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Anything. so many of the small talk questions that people ask to be polite end up like causing so much stress in other people. It's like, we should just be like, let's just stop the small talk. Like you're, yeah. you, I know you're doing the, asking us these questions cause you're being nice, but right. now yeah. you're like causing a fury on my end. So just like, bye-bye. <laughs> anyway, so I get it. Um, in your mornings are the worst chapter. Um, and I, I wrote this article once about like my crazy mornings and everything. And this guy I barely knew was like, Oh, you know, I read your article. He's like, I think you got to get, I think you have to change something about your mornings. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is like some man like on his way to work in like a suit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. yes, I, you're right. Thank you. Um, How so, about I get a wife? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would probably help. <laughs> like you don't say. Um, but your chapter was so great because you outlined like specific, actionable, useful suggestions, not just like, you know, chill out and enjoy it. Like you have great tips in there, which is basically in every chapter of your book, which is why it's so user-friendly in addition to enjoyable. Um, so you end up saying that, you know, if you find something worth getting up for, it can make the mornings better. Like instead of just thinking about the slog, if you have something fun for something you want to do, then, then it's easier. And that's how you ended up, you know, basically having a, a farm and getting your kids to work on the farm, which I was not, I did not see that coming in the book, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I was like, should they're doing what now? It's um, terrible advice too. Don't don't go get a farm. And actually, if I wrote the book today, I probably wouldn't even like. We still have a farm. Um, and and just like an hour and a half ago, I was fighting with one of my children over the fact that she had to do the chores this morning. It was not pretty. Um, with me, 
Yeah. So the the, be- the better piece of advice within that, besides <laughs> don't buy a farm because it's it's a stupid idea, um, is is to find something like like I said, I hate mornings. I really do. I would just I don't want to get up. But if you can find something that will get there's sort of two bits. If you can find something that will help you get up, like I actually now I'm willing to get up to I run a mile every morning on a treadmill. And I don't run any further than that. And I do it very slowly. And I don't enjoy it. But I sort of I like checking it off. Mm-hmm. I like having my day like there are things about it that have made it sort of so worth it to me that I actually will get up. And the point is that then I'm up. I used to just like get up 30 seconds before I needed to wake up children or, and, or my, my husband would do the same. And we definitely trade off on this. It's not like it's just me, but, and that was just, you know, I was still grumpy. They were grumpy. Everybody was grumpy. So there's, there's that piece of it of sort of trying to get yourself together. And I, I really hate that advice because I don't like getting up any earlier than I have to. Mm -hmm. So I think finding something for which you feel like you can get up earlier like it, it's helpful to you. And then the piece with the kids, I mean, the thing that was nice when the barn chores were, were working really regularly is that we would be late for the barn chores, but not late for school. Mm-hmm. So if there's some like sort of way that you can sort of block out, it's like, you know, you have, you have to be done getting ready by seven, but you don't have to leave for school till seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because you're all going to, um, you know, take a walk or because everybody likes to watch a particular, um, you know, maybe there's something that you could watch or play or a donut, you know, you could stop at a donut place and, and you could actually sort of get a ritual donut and you'd have to take it in the car if you're late. But the key was just that the, the being, the thing we ended up being late for was not the school. So it helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a hard one to achieve. And in all honesty, it's not working anymore. <laughs> You know, they're like, let's take a marker and cross that bit off. <laughs> okay. Um. That's really funny. Um, okay. So then let's talk about chores. Um, you have this amazing chapter on chores, which uh, you just adapted for the New York Times the other day, I think on Sunday, which was a great article. Um, but in it, as you're talking about how kids really need to help out more around the house and how, um, you know, it leads to all sorts of benefits long-term if you can get your kids to start with chores, even at, you know, ages three, four, five that will lead to longer term benefits. But in the, in the chapter you wrote, if you're clearing your 11 year old's dishes after every meal, then unless your child has physical or physical or mental special needs that require this service, you are doing it wrong as are most of our fellow parents. So literally I read this and I had just finished dinner with two, my two 11 year old twins. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm totally doing it wrong. Like she, she has called me out. It's like she, in addition to every other useful piece of advice, now she's like peering into my house and showing me what I'm doing wrong. So message received on, on my end and I'm sure other parents. Um, so tell me, tell me why I have to make the kids do chores, which by the way, I've already changed since reading your book and it's been great, but I changed. I mean, I had to reread that chapter, um, for the audiobook. got to, uh, and I rereading it made me go, Oh, we really got to up our game. Cause it's, it's like a slippery slope. Cause you know, who are we kidding? It is easier to clear the, clear the dishes yourself. It totally is. Um, it, whether your kids are four or 11, it's just, if, just do it yourself and they don't whine. And it's, it's, but, but, but it's not better for a couple of reasons. First, um, in terms of our own personal happiness, it really feels cruddy to be doing all the work. 
Like you probably made the meal or your spouse did or your partner did. Um, you know, odds are the kids didn't is really more my point. And to also then be the one to clean up after it while they are either, uh, you know, sort of swanning about doing their video games or play or Snapchatting or even just sitting there watching you. Um, that doesn't like that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Um, even if, you're sort of having to nag them into to helping. So when you're doing that, you know, and I think they know that that's how it should be. Like everybody is supposed to be chipping in um, to make these things work. So it's really, um, I think it's important for our parental like happiness that we, that we do this because we sort of, we know that, that it's good. And you know that the kids who are accustomed to doing this, I mean, there, there actually, there is some research. It's not huge, but kids who are raised in a household where they really are contributing and they are necessary, feel more connected to their family. And that is sort of protective of their emotional health in a couple of ways. There's also some research that suggests, and it's a tiny study that they do better later in life, but even just, I mean, we don't need research on this one. The boyfriend who comes over and gets up and helps the family of his new girlfriend clear the table is the good boyfriend. The one who kicks back and asks where the remote is is the bad boyfriend. I mean, it's just, you know, you don't need you don't need research to know that you want your kids to be um, helpful. So. So there's that. But the, the thing that I learned and the thing that I keep saying, the thing that sort of is helping us, I think, the most is that there are really two totally different pieces of this. And the first is that you want your kids to clear the dish or whatever, or to make their bed or to do the laundry or to go out and mo- whatever you want them to do. You want them to be the one that, do- that does it. That's important. It'd be nice if they did it without being told, you know, if they didn't need a reminder or if they did it without winding or if they did it cheerfully, but that's different like that. You can, you can leave that totally out of the equation. Your job as a parent is just to get them to do it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And not be like, why are you whining about this so much? Cause then yeah, you're just, just, and, and if you can fine. This is a, one of my, the best phrase, which I actually don't even think it, it might be in the book somewhere, but the best thing I've got on that is you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't like it. You know, I have learned now about almost 50 years in that I doesn't help me to whine about it, that I just feel worse. But, I, you know, <laughs> you, you whine, just, but you still have to do it. I also like how you said that you shouldn't expect them to do it particularly well. <laughs> no, this is also true. I mean, eventually, you know, if, if they're doing it poorly because they know you're going to swoop in and it's like easier for them, that's, but a lot of the time they're just, you know, they're too young or they didn't get it or they were sloppy. I, I made a deal with my son that he really wanted this toy. And in exchange, this is probably bad parenting. I was like, you you have to do four days of laundry for the whole family. And with four kids and everybody, it's a lot of laundry every day. He was like, you're kidding. And I was like, no, that's the deal. So he's been doing the laundry all week. And it's so funny to see him like approach a pile of clothes, like again. I'm like, yes, this is the laundry. It happens every day. You can never cross it off the list. It's like one of those things, like try it. And then my husband was like, I don't know about this with, the, with you know, this guy doing the laundry. Cause like my shirts end up in my four, five-year-old's closet. And I'm like, 
this is not hers. Look at this shirt. Anyway, yeah. like all the clothes are dirty, but I'm like, I think it's the principle of it. Like we have to enforce the principle <laughs> of the chores. So anyway, um, uh, so you recommend in your book that parents actually read books, magazines, newspapers, the actual hard copies so that the kids can see parents reading. Um, can you explain how this is really beneficial? Like what's your thought behind this, this piece of advice? Two, two pieces. First of all, especially when your kids are little, if you're reading on your iPad, as far as they're concerned, you're playing two dots or Candy Crush. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, you can show them the words, but to them, it's like, you're on an iPad and I'm not. There's that, and that's just the end of it. So I think that it's really important that we do the things that we can do offline, offline so that they can see their sort of relative importance in, in, in our world. Um, a lot of kids actually grow up to prefer, a lot of adults prefer the paper, uh, too. So surprising number of kids would rather read on paper, and if they're seeing you do it, that's great. The other reason, and this is huge, keep subscribing. I don't know how long we're even going to be able to do this, but keep subscribing to a paper newspaper. Keep subscribing to paper magazines. If you want to raise kids who read The New Yorker, the cartoons and the covers, those are the gateway drugs. If you want to raise kids who glance at the headlines of your local paper, the local paper's got to be sitting there. They're not going to, you know, sort of wander over to your computer and, and accidentally go to your, um, you know, your, your town. It just doesn't work that way. But if it's sitting there, they really truly will. And then you're, you're talking about it. So, I mean, I don't know how long this is going to even be a possibility, but it's actually important. Yeah. I love paper everything. So I do tend to have it around. And I was so sad. I went to my local on 72nd and 3rd, there's a place called State News or used to be called State News. Now it's modern state. And for my whole life, and I've grown up in the same neighborhood, this is pathetic. I'm 42 years old and I like have not moved basically more than five blocks. But anyway, it's had like all the magazines from around the world, right? The store was like the magazine emporium of the Upper East Side, basically. And they just decided to stop selling any magazines. No. Yes. I couldn't oh. believe it. I walked in like two days ago and in where all the magazines normally are, were just school supplies. And I was like, wow. I, I know. So I said, wait, where are the magazines? What happened? They said, oh, the guy said, because of everything's online now, we, we're not going to sell them anymore. It wasn't making any sense for us. Um, so I was so, so sad I know. I was them. so upset. I was so upset. Um, so anyway, I'm with you. I really, I love hard copies of everything and magazines and everything. And uh, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that uh, even though everything's accessible online, that, that people don't give up producing and consuming. Well, and you can scatter those around. Like you can put some magazines that might appeal to your kid on the floor, you know, in the backseat of the car as though they were just there. Mm-hmm. Leave them in the bathroom I like, I, I, like we all do. Um, you know, just leave them around and they, they'll pick them up. Um, words are sort of, you know, it's, it's hard to not read them once you know how to read. And, um, I think it makes a difference. Totally. I'm going to put some stuff in the car today. That was a great tip. <laughs> um, <laughs> One I of my friends used to lay books around her house as like bait. She, cause it wouldn't work to say, yeah, I think you'd really like this book. So she'd just like leave it, you know, conveniently. <laughs> So after all this research that you've done, um, if you could pick the one or two things to help busy parents out there be happier, um, who might not be able to implement everything, but just maybe one or two things that they could keep like in the, you know, front and center, what, what would they be? Um, you know, this is, this is boring, but find a way to get your whole family more sleep. 
That will get you better mornings. It will get you better afternoons. It will get you better um, witching hours. And I'll just go sort of straight to the interesting bit of it, which is that the reason that most of us don't get more sleep is that we don't want to go to bed at night. It's not that we don't want to stay in bed in the morning because everybody would do that, right? But we can't. So, and the reason we don't want to go to bed at night is because we don't get our own time till all the other things are over. So, exactly. you know, and for the parents, it's not till everybody's in bed sometimes. And you, and you can shift that. You can sort of try to come up with a world where everybody's getting their own time starting at 7. Um, and But for kids and for teenagers, it's like, well, I had sports, and then I had homework, and then I had this, and it's so I'm not done till 9. And then if you're not done till 9, you'll go to bed till 10. And, you don't, you know, it's impossible to get that 9 hours that you need if you don't go to bed till 10. Um, and I don't mean adults, you know, but teens and tweens, they need that time. So that is huge. And the other is the mindset shift. Just just make make it worth your while. Make it a priority to, to find a way to to enjoy things. Awesome. Well KJ, thank you so much. Also thank you for giving um you gave us some books to give away on uh, oh, good. uh Instagram giveaway. So thank you so much for that and for taking all the time and for all your advice that is going to really make my life as a, as a mom easier and better. So I am truly, truly grateful from one mom to another on that one. So thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. Best of luck. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by The Craft Studio. CraftStudioNYC.com, the best place to craft in New York. Mm-hmm.